Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I want to ask you to be thinking about uh, a movie, a sports movie that's your favorite sports movie. Just start getting that in your brain, because uh, this week my wife was actually out of town. She was with uh, my two littles at kids camp. Uh, kids camp is a place that I vow never to go to because um, when they're like under sixth grade, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle you for a whole week. Uh, but Crystal was there with the kids. And so with me and my older two, it was, I'm going to be honest, it was movie week because I'm like, this is the time to show the kids some good old classics. Uh, so like last night we actually watched, uh, what's it, uh, Searching for Bobby Fisher uh, about this kid playing chess. Just some good old movies that the kids haven't seen. Um, but I want you to do me a, do me a favor here. We're going to go kind of youth group style here. Um, and on the count of three, I want you to yell out your favorite sports movie of all time. So you should have it in your brain by now. Okay? So here we go. One, two, three. Okay, I heard of Field of Dreams. Um, I don't know. First service, nobody said Rocky, and I got really angry at them, and I told them all to leave, and I didn't do that. Did anybody say Rocky, please? Thank you. Luis, we got one Rocky over here. Did anybody say Remember the Titans? There's, okay, there was at least one Remember the Titans. Remember the Titans has a scene in it that is one of my favorite scenes in, in a sports movie of all time. So they're in the championship game. It's this high school team that, uh, it was a, a school that, that got unsegregated, so it's blacks and whites coming in and trying to play together and trying to get along, and, and it didn't work for a long time, but this team, as they gelled together, they, they remained undefeated the whole, team, the whole season. And you get to the end of the season, championship game, and they're getting killed. Come into halftime, and the coach, played by the great Denzel Washington, he comes into the, to the locker room. He says, guys, this is, this is a fight. And no matter what happens, win or lose, I want you guys to hold your heads high at the end of this game. Go out there, play your hardest, that's all anybody can ask of you. And the captain of the team, he got up and he started talking. He said stuff that if you didn't get excited to go out and hit somebody, I don't know there's something wrong with you, okay? But he gets up and he says, Coach, that's just, all due respect, that's not good enough. You have expected one thing out of us all season long, and that's perfection. He looks around at his teammates, he goes, there is not one of us who is perfect in here. I make mistakes, you make mistakes, but this team is perfect. And he says, coach, all due respect, we'd like to, we'd like to walk off this field that same way. And everybody in the, in the, in the, in the locker room is like getting all hyped up. I'm like hitting the TV like, yeah, let's do this. And just going crazy because that's how I get with sports movies. Now, I don't know about you, but that scene, it, it pumps me up perfection. It's, it's something that we want. It's something that we desire. Uh, my, my older sister, she was on a basketball team her junior year of high school. Uh, who went, they went 27-0. and 0. They won the state title. Uh, and it was awesome. Like, she got in the championship game. She was hitting free throws at the end. It was sweet. It was, and it was actually against Milton. So every time I go into Milton, I'm like, yeah, we got you. And then, and then the next year, they lost to Wanake in the state title. And every time I go to Wanake, I go, I hate you. Um, sorry, but just hurt feelings. But perfection, 27-0, and 0, it was awesome. Uh, 
in the history of the major leagues, Major League Baseball, 154 seasons, there has been 24 perfect games where 27 men come up and 27 men go right back to the dugout. There was another one that should have been a perfect game, but the umpire called a guy safe on the, what should have been the last out of, of the game at first base. Worst call in the history of the major leagues. You know that, right? It's horrible. Okay, so there should have been 25, but still, it's so rare. Perfection in baseball is so rare. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, it is the perfect cereal. And if you don't believe me, I'll fight you on it. I went to Schnucks yesterday, and they were, they were selling Cinnamon Toast Crunch for a buck ninety-nine. I bought 15 boxes of cereal yesterday, guys. It was a six, six limit to it. And so I go through. I didn't realize it was six. I was trying to buy 10. And they, it got to six, and it started charging me five bucks. I said, well, fix that. And then I had Abby buy the other four for me. And then I went back later and bought five more. I think the sale's still going on if you want it. So <laughs> They will not be stale. They're perfect for a, a year. Come on, guys. A walk with my wife on a crisp fall full moon evening is the perfect moment in life. Finding the perfectly fitting pair of jeans is, a, yeah, I know, it's perfect. Normally that's only a thing that women talk about, but when you're a 5'4 male uh, and you have a 28 inch inseam and it goes only to 30 and you got to roll everything up or whatever, it's really annoying. So it's a rarity to find that perfect fitting pair of jeans. And I think we all, we all strive for perfection in different areas of our life. Um, but we also know it's frustrating because we are all far from perfect. It takes me about 4.2 seconds when I wake up in the morning to do something dumb. Um, sometimes it takes even less than that to, to, to mess up perfection because I hit the snooze button. If you count that as being imperfect, because it, it probably is. And I hit the snooze button every day. But we're, we're constantly striving for this, this thing that looks more like perfection. And if there's one thing that I'm certain of in life, it is that we are all imperfect, and we are all going to be imperfect. And a lot of times we're way, we're way worse than imperfect. A lot of days I feel like I am a complete off-the-tracks derailment in my life. And there's probably days where you think that too, like, what am, what am I doing with my life? How did I mess things up this bad? So if there's any tension for me in life, the tension probably comes down to this. I want to be perfect in loving God and loving people well, but I know that every single day I fall short of it. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible because he's talking about doing what he doesn't want to do and not doing what he knows he should do. And every time I read that, I'm like, yes, I'm not the only person. Romans 7 is awesome. There's this thing in us that we are, we're constantly in a struggle. I want to be perfect, but I just can't. So where does that leave me in my spiritual journey? If God really says, be holy as I am holy, which he does. He says it multiple times. It's, it's in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Book of Leviticus talks about it. The book of 1 Peter talks about it. If I'm really supposed to be holy as God is holy, and I am not, where does that leave me? How should I feel about myself, uh, a person who utterly messes up time and time and time again? And so today, we're in this second message in this Not Perfect series. I thought last week, uh, Shannon coming and, and giving us the first message, and she did an awesome job. And today, what we're doing is we're talking about not perfect, but perfected. Now, this, this is going to seem like a little bit of an oxymoron in some ways, probably. Like, how can we not be perfect, but we are perfected? And we're... What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a story from Luke chapter 23. It's a story of 
Jesus on the cross, and there's these two criminals on either side of him. And there's something that happens in this story that I think is, is pretty phenomenal. Luke 23, starting verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it was about a year ago, just a little over a year ago, we actually looked at this story. Um, We looked at both the Mark version of this story and the Luke version of this story. And last year we were kind of talking about this story through the eyes of repentance. Today we're taking a little bit of a different look, just talking about perfection, being perfected. And so um, it's going to look a little different, but I want to hit on a little bit of something that we, we actually talked about last year when we looked at this story. What's remarkable about this story is how the person of Jesus completely transforms the life of one of these guys that's hanging next to him. The grace and the love of Jesus does something crazy in this story with this guy. And I believe that, that the grace and love of Jesus actually can transform us if we let it. That's why Central Christian Church, we've always considered ourselves a Jesus church. What does that mean? It means that we're going to preach Jesus. More so than preaching to you all the ways that you are doing life wrong, we want to preach Jesus. We want to preach the good things about Jesus because I believe that that is what brings us transformation. Figuring out who Jesus is brings transformation. So we're going to give you the principles of the gospel, the story of Jesus, time and time and time again, in as many ways as we can so that you see Jesus as perfectly as we possibly can see him in our imperfect ways. Me telling you all the ways that that you're bad is not really going to do the thing uh, of changing your heart. But I do believe me introducing you to the depth and the goodness of who Jesus is, that is the thing that can change you. And that's exactly what happened with this criminal on the cross next to Jesus. See, there's actually, uh, in the story of Mark, we actually read something else in this story. In the Luke story, all we see is one guy is ridiculing Jesus. The other one is like, hey, what you doing? Don't do that. But in the story of Mark, it actually says that both of them were insulting Jesus. Mark 15, 32. It says, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Those. That is meaning plural. That is meaning that we talk, we only hear of two people crucified next to Jesus. That's saying that at some point while they were up on the cross, one of these, both of these guys were insulting Jesus, and one of them had his heart transformed. Something happened in those few hours while they were up on the cross that this one criminal was watching Jesus. He was listening to Jesus. These little conversations he was having with people, the heart that Jesus had for people, somewhere in that, this one criminal, his heart and his mind were changed. To me, this is one of the most beautiful things that actually happens in this entire scene. Now, this criminal, while he turned himself over to Jesus, the truth is, he was a criminal. He was a bad man. Like, he was obviously, there was something that he had done that was wrong. And every one of you would be like, well, yeah, he, he's, he's on death row. He's getting crucified. Like, he must be an awful dude. Telltale sign that he's a bad dude. He's getting killed. The truth is, 
he might not be as bad as we think. There's actually some, some researchers say that the Romans would actually sometimes crucify people on a cross who didn't necessarily deserve death. They had done something, but the truth was is that they were people caught in slavery, and in order to kind of keep people in line, sometimes for lesser things, they, they might be crucified. So this man may not have even deserved what he was, what he was getting. But regardless, at some point, he had treated Jesus like Jesus was uh, not so great. He had given him insults. And so regardless of the reason why this man was being, being crucified, we see this bitterness in him. And that bitterness, over time, it has to get taken away by the love and the grace of Jesus. Now, if you were... If you were a person that was sitting there listening to this conversation with this criminal and with Jesus, there's a good chance that you wouldn't have liked what you were hearing. I want you to imagine yourself a Roman person. You're a Roman person who believes that all those guys that are up on the cross right now, they deserve to be there. And you hear this conversation. You, let's say you're a, a Jewish religious leader. As a Jewish religious leader, you did not like Jesus. You believe Jesus was blaspheming God. You wanted him to die. And so no matter what, which of those types of people you were, you hear this conversation, this man saying, hey, would you, would you let me into paradise with you? And Jesus says, yeah, you're going to be with me today. I'm telling you what, you would have gotten mad. You'd have gotten upset. And the truth is, is you would have wanted, the, you would have been saying both of them are going to hell. And the, the, the disgusting part about it is you would have been excited about that. You'd have been waiting for their last breath, knowing in your heart, they ain't going to heaven. Now, can I be honest with you? There is a sort of dark feeling that lurks inside of me as well. I have had a hard time in my life reconciling the idea that God would allow people who do really, really, really awful things, that he would allow them, as they repent, to go to heaven. I think about serial killers. I think about people who have abused women and children. I think about them coming to repentance and God lets them into paradise. And maybe some of those people that, that they had, had hurt never came to repentance. And where do they end up? Now I've just opened up a whole can of worms of darkness for your brain right now. Because I'm telling you what, it is something that I struggle with. To think that God would allow that kind of stuff to happen. That is a grace that I can't, always, I can't always bring it together. And some of you are like, well, Kellen, don't worry about it. Those people aren't going to heaven. And I'm just saying, then explain this Bible passage to me. Explain to me how this criminal who is far from perfect is literally insulting Jesus. And hours later, all he does is say, Jesus, could you, could you let me into paradise? In one sentence, Jesus changed everything for this man. Do you grasp how quick it was that Jesus was willing to say, yes, you're going to be with me in paradise? It was so quick. It's almost as if Jesus is looking for any reason whatsoever, possibly, to let somebody into paradise, to let somebody into heaven. Jesus was looking for that one moment where he could turn the completely imperfect into the perfect. Now that is totally different than, than how I think about things. That's totally different than how most of our world thinks about things. We are looking for opportunities that we can, 
vilify somebody, that we can crucify somebody. I'm telling you, social media, it is, it is the bane of our existence. It's awful. And then we just go right back to it. But it's this place where we want to vilify everything and everyone. And you look at Jesus, and all it took was one comment. Let me in. And he's like, yes. He's looking for ways to let us in. Now, I want you to think a little bit how much differently we think than Jesus. Ask yourself a few questions. How much do you pick apart your faults and tell yourself that you'll never be enough? Do you think that's really how Jesus is thinking as we read this passage? How much do you enjoy finding the fault in someone else and pinpointing all the ways that they don't measure up? I am, I'm sure glad for this criminal that that's not how Jesus looked at him in that, in that moment. Do you look for the imperfections rather than seeing what can be redeemable? I, t- I talk about this a lot. I love that my wife, uh, when we were dating in high school, saw the redeemable in me, this, this guy who said so many stupid things to everybody in the world. And she saw something. That's Jesus for us. He sees what is redeemable when nobody else wants to see it. But too many times we don't choose to see it. When you read this passage and you really look and see what Jesus did for this criminal, it should actually give us all some pause for a minute, I think. It should make us stop and think, how quick am I to either deem myself or somebody else a hopeless lost cause? I, am, I know I'm guilty of doing that way more than I should. It should make us think about uh, all these ways that, that God is really, he's looking for the opportunity to forgive us. I talked about before how I, I have a hard time with this concept of God uh, giving, giving forgiveness to people who've done awful stuff. If you are 30 years old or more, you, I'm pretty sure you probably have heard the name Jeffrey Dahmer. He's a guy who did stuff that is unspeakable. But if you're also 30 years or older, you might actually remember a, an interview that he did on national television. He was sitting there, his dad's sitting right next to him. They're in a jail, and he's telling this world that he had given his heart over to Jesus and accepted him as his personal savior. Now, here's the deal. I am never going to stand in somebody's place and, and go, that was either real or that was fake. That is between him and God. I don't know. But I will say this. I think that there are a lot of us as Christians who sometimes go, I don't know if I want that to be true. I don't know if I want that that guy to be able to be in heaven. The question is, why would any of us not want somebody to be reconciled to God? What is it in us that thinks that we're so good that we could actually have that, but somebody else isn't deserving of that? Honestly, I understand the sentiment, but why would we have that? Why would that be our sentiment? When I say that I don't think that God could allow somebody into heaven because of how bad they have lived their lives, or that I couldn't be allowed into heaven because of how bad I am, there's a couple things that are happening here. Number one, I'm selling short the power of God to make somebody else perfected. I am selling short the power of God to bring perfection to somebody in a way that No one else can. But I'm also doing this. I'm selling short the work of Jesus on the cross to take on himself all the sin of the world so that he could give over his perfection to even the worst of sinners. When I say that somebody doesn't deserve it, they don't deserve the grace of Jesus, 
I don't deserve the grace of Jesus. I am selling short the work of Jesus on the cross. And I'll tell you what, the last thing I want to do is sell short the work of Jesus on the cross. You see what this, what this man on the cross said next to Jesus. Luke 23, 42. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' answer was just as simple. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It seems so easy, you guys. It seems so easy, right? And I think we get it messed up sometimes. We get this messed up. We act as if God makes it really, really, really complicated for us to be right with God. That it's that I've got I've to think all the right things and then I've got to say and do all the right things in order for God to be okay with me, to accept me. And you see from this passage, that is just not the way that it goes. I want you to listen to how, how simple the gospel message is in Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's really simple. Believe it and confess it. Now sure, I'm not going to deny that there's not some stickiness that goes along with this. The book of James talks a lot about how if you believe, you're going to do this stuff too. There's actions that follow with our belief. Can I, can I put that into context for you? I've talked about this before. I believe Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And when somebody comes to me and tries to tell me that they think LeBron is the best, I get angry. I get very, very mad and I get argumentative. And... I've almost lost relationship with one of my nephews over this. I've also almost lost relationship with my daughter's cross-country coach. He's a cross-country coach. You don't know basketball? Quit telling me about LeBron being the best. And so I believe so strongly that Jordan is the greatest of all time that I, I will argue with people. Now, what does that have to do with what I was just talking about? It's because I believe something that I am willing to then go and argue it. Same thing with our faith. When I believe Jesus to be the Son of God, to be my Savior, to have gone to a cross to, to die in, in perfection for me, when I, when I believe that, yes, I'm going to naturally live that out in my life. There's, there's no way around that. It doesn't work the other way around. It does, I don't just start living it out and then I believe it. I believe it and then it, it does start to become a thing I live out. But it is not us living the perfected life that makes us perfect in God's eyes. It's our belief that Jesus alone is the, is the one who makes us perfect. It's our faith that perfects us in Jesus. It's not what we do. It is not how we live. I want you to listen to one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, this is one of those messages that uh, I know sometimes when it's, when it's preached in a, in a church like this, there can be a lot of people in church that go, this one's not really for me. I want the meat, and this one is the meat that I already know about. I can't, I, I'm saved, I get all this. But you know what? I think, I think we're wrong when we think that. I don't think that there's one of us in this room who doesn't struggle with the idea of needing to be more perfect. There is not one of us who doesn't struggle with this idea of perfection. In my marriage, there are times where, where there's a struggle because both of us are, are expecting something out of the other that 
that we're not capable of always living up to. I feel bad because I do things that I, I know that my wife wouldn't want me to do and I feel like, oh, she's, she's probably expecting more out of me and now I feel bad about myself. Guess what? If I expect that, if I think that in my relationship with a human, how much more am I going to struggle with the idea of perfection with a God who is perfect in which he sees everything that I do and everything that I think and I'm obviously not perfect. But the problem is that we are buying into a lie that the enemy wants us to believe and that lie is that you and I have to be perfect. I'm telling you, Satan can't always get us to do all the things that he wants us to do. He can't get us to do all the bad things that he probably wants us to do. Now, I'm going to say this, and I don't want you to think that this is like spiritual bragging. I'm going I'm to tell you how bad I am in a second. But I will say this. Satan has never been able to get me to do these really big, bad, awful things as, as a young person, even as an adult. I have a conscience that is crazy, I'm the guy that would like do something bad and three weeks later I'm still worried about it and finally I go to mom and dad, hey, like, you know that thing? No, I didn't know that thing. Well, I did it. Oh, nobody cares. That's what it was, that's what my, that's what my conscience is like. So I never, I never, I've never had a sip of alcohol. I've never smoked anything. I wasn't out sleeping with people. Like, that's just not me. But can I tell you what, what Satan has gotten, gotten me into? He's gotten me to the place where sometimes I've lived my life completely self-righteously. Where I think that I can be perfect and I don't, I'm better than you and I don't even need, maybe I don't even need Jesus. I joke around sometimes with my wife like, you're so good. Do you need Jesus? Because I know I do. But sometimes I live my life like that. If Satan can't get us to do all the bad things he wants us to do, he definitely is going to try to get us to live perfectly and own our earn our own way to salvation. And if he can do that, he's going to get us living completely defeated lives because we know that we can't do that well. Jack Klumpenhauer, he's an author, he puts it like this. What a tyrant Jesus would be if he lived a perfect life and then, as his main message, told us to be like him. What a setup for failure. Now some of you are like, Jesus did tell us to be like him. What are you talking about, Kellen? Yeah, he did, but... We have to understand that wasn't his main message. The main message of Jesus wasn't, now be like me. The main message of Jesus was, I died to make you perfect. It is only my death that brings you perfection. Stop trying to be perfect and accept what Jesus did for you. And and I want to say this. For some of you in the room who maybe you've never accepted Jesus before. You've never said, man, I'm... I'm not perfect and he was in my place and he's the ticket to heaven. It honestly is as easy as what we saw with this criminal on a cross next to Jesus. It's as easy as saying, Jesus, I want to be with you in paradise. And Jesus responds, today you're going to be there. This is not as complicated as we try to make it out. Jesus did the work of perfecting for you. We struggle to view ourselves as perfect, but in Jesus, that is exactly what you are. You are perfect in Jesus. The question is, how can we begin to live in that identity? How can we begin to see ourselves that way? How can we take hold of Christ's perfection, which is meant for you and me? And there's a couple things that, that I want to talk through real quick that, that I think we, if we can think this way, it's going to change how we are. The first one is this. Begin to tell yourself that you are better in God's eyes than you can ever imagine, and it's all because of Jesus. 
Tell yourself you are better in God's eyes than you can imagine. This, this might actually remind some of you of an old SNL skit. There's an old SNL skit where this guy is standing in front of the mirror, and he, and he says into the mirror, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's good, but here's the thing. Our identity in Jesus is actually completely the opposite of what that guy was doing in the mirror. That is just, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. What we actually should be saying in the mirror is, God says I'm good enough. God says I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it, God likes me. That's what, the, that's what this identity thing is actually all about. When you think the worst thoughts about you, what do you think the thoughts of Jesus actually are about you? I think when, when, when our brains are going into that bad place of where we're thinking all the worst thoughts about ourselves, that should be our first time out. And the first question we should say is, okay, that's what's going on in me. What does God think about me right now? Now, if you don't know what Scripture says, maybe you need to actually go into God's Word and, and ask and, and see from there, what does God think about you? But I'm telling you what, all you need to do is look to the cross. Because the cross says that you are loved even when you're at your worst. Romans 5.8, while, while we were at the worst of our sin, Christ died for us. We are absolutely loved even in our worst place. Is Jesus focused on the ways that you messed up today? I don't think so. His identity for you is not based on what you do or what you say. His identity for you is based completely in his love for you. And that love for you comes completely out of himself, not from what you do. We are perfected in his name. God actually sees Christ's perfection when he looks at you. Colossians 3.3 says this, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That is one of, that is one of the most powerful statements in Scripture. That your past is no longer there. When, G, when, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past mistakes. He doesn't see all the stuff that you've messed up with. He sees Jesus. You are now hidden with Christ in God. That is, that is mind-boggling for us. To be seen as perfect, to be called perfect. And all it does, all it takes is for us to accept who Jesus is on our behalf. The reason most of us fall into habitual sin is we keep telling ourselves that we are the sum of our failures, but we're not. We are the sum of Jesus' victories. If you continue to tell yourself that you're the sum of your failures, you're going to continue to live in ways that God wouldn't want you to live. If you could start to tell yourself that you are the sum of, of the victory that Jesus had on the cross, that your, his perfection has now been transferred over to you, I'm telling you, our lives are going to start to look different. All right, so we're talking about telling ourselves that we are perfect in God's eyes. What's the second part that we need to tell ourselves? It's this. Begin to tell yourself that the person who you're talking to or thinking about is also better in God's eyes than you can ever imagine, and you know it because Jesus died for them too. We struggle with people in life, and it's really easy to get some bad thoughts about other people. When you have bad thoughts come up about other people, it's another time to, to, to take a time out. Okay, God, what is it that you think about this person? If that doesn't change the way that you're thinking right now, I mean, does Jesus really care about the annoyance that you've got for that person right now? No, he doesn't care. Are you able to see the potential in the person that you're struggling with? Because I guarantee you what, Jesus sees the potential in that person. That's why I went to the cross. I don't want to live with a performance 
complex anymore. I don't want to feel like I have to be perfect in order to be accepted. I also don't want to live in a spot where I'm acting as though other people have to be perfect around me. The way I get annoyed with my kids when they do the simplest of things, and it's like I expect them never to raise their voice and be annoying. They're gonna be. (laughs) That's just, that's okay. I love how Paul David Tripp puts this. He says, only divine grace can soften a person's heart. Only grace can make you more grieved over your sin than about the sins of others. Only grace can cause you and me to abandon our confidence in our own performance and place our confidence in the perfectly acceptable righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only grace can help us to abandon this idea that I myself can be who God wants me to be. I can make myself acceptable to God. And grace says, no, it's not on you. Jesus did it for you. One of my questions for you this morning is, are you holding yourself to an impossible standard? Do you get down on yourself because you've held yourself to such an impossible standard that there's no way that you could ever live up to it? The truth is, if you look at the way that God is looking at you, he's not holding you up to these impossible standards. He knows that we are messed up people. That's why he sent Jesus for us. That's why Jesus became our perfection, because we couldn't do it ourselves. But I have another question for you. Are you holding somebody else in your life up to that impossible standard? Do you have some relationship issues going on in your life right now because you are guilty of holding that person to a standard that God would never even hold them up to? We have some growth in how we look at ourselves, but we have some growth in how we look at other people. Today, my my thing is, let's give ourselves some grace. Let's give the people in our lives a little bit of grace. Let's believe in the power of Jesus, who died on the cross to bring us the perfection that we could not have any other way. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.